Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. Um, this is, what's today's date? January, no, 19. That's so 24 hours ago. Uh, this is January 19th, 2014, and it is wonderful to see y'all here today. Y'all! <laughs> Moo! <laughs> Anyway, um, so today's topic is really about what I would like to call irrational rationale. Or irrational super rational. Rationalizing the rational super. No. Good morning. Good morning, Rabbi. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, welcome. Nice to meet you. So, the rational, rational, irrational rationale, and irrational, super rational. Makes makes sense, right? So there are things that we do under the guise of being rational. But it's extremely irrational. There are things that we do under the guise of being rational. I'm just being rational. And meanwhile, it's very irrational. So how about you guys give me an example? I have a few brewing. I'm going to give you an example, but I want you to give me an example. <laughs> what is something rational that really is irrational? Okay, fine. You've made me give you an example. I'll tell you an example that the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe gave to this example. Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Lubavitch, who passed away in 1950 on the 10th day of Shvat. So he said like this. He said, people every day will wake up and have their morning coffee. Okay, he didn't say this. I'm, I'm elaborating. <laughs> he spoke about the time, meal times. The lunch comes at a certain time, dinner comes at a certain time, and that's the way it is. And wait, don't talk to me, I'm on my lunch break. It's 12 o'clock, I'm on my lunch break. Or breakfast, whatever. This is the way it is. Is that rational? <laughs> but the notion of okay I'm going to eat at a certain time and that's the way it's going to be every day I'm going to eat at a certain time is the no matter what exactly but I'll tell you what's, what would really be truly perfectly rational would be that I eat when I need to eat that would be perfectly rational that would be perfectly rational you don't think so? Because having a schedule in the form of the day is probably a rational thing to do to make it work. I'm with you. I'm with you. So you're saying that you need, you need structure, you need to have a schedule because otherwise you're going to be all over the place. That's way too rational. See, there's nothing wrong with rationale. The question is do we become a slave to the rational? Do we say, like, okay, this is the rational, and I'm not going to deviate. I'm not going to deviate one iota 
from, uh, from the rational. In other words, there are certain times that we can make a deity out of the rational. We can say, look, I don't believe in anything beyond, I don't know if we need, but ask it down nonetheless, just in case. We can say to ourselves like this, I don't believe in anything higher, I don't believe, I don't have faith, I don't have, I don't want to, you know, kind of extend beyond my comfort zone, my rational comfort zone. Thanks. So therefore, whatever the mind says, whatever the mind says, is the way I roll, I, 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 I go according to rationale. And I don't deviate from rationale at all. My mind will be my guide. What makes sense is, is, that's the way it is. And it turns out that instead of a person being religious, being religious about God, a person is being religious about the mind. So you're not really not being religious. You're not really not having faith. What you're doing is you're putting your faith, your religiosity, or your commitment, etc., instead of putting it one place, you put it in a different place. You know, there are those that believe, there are those that really don't want to believe that God created the world. That God created the world. One of the reasons it's been said why people really don't want to believe that is not necessarily due to intellectual honesty, but let's really figure this out. But it's because if God created the world, then there might be an expectation. For me. In other words, if God created the world and He put me here, and maybe there's a reason why He did it, because nothing that He did was for no reason, if I believe in Him, then now there are all these strings attached to my existence. It's cleaner to say, accident, big bang. And where did all that stuff come from? So who was it who said? Who's the professor? Who? Darwin. No, not Darwin. But I'm saying the guy, the, the guy that's living now. He's in a he's in a wheelchair. Stephen Hawking. So he believes, I think, that aliens. Right? Are you familiar with this theory that aliens were involved? Yes, you're with me. You're nodding your head. I don't think so. Not him or Hicks. One of these guys, the guy that the DNA guy, for sure, Hicks said that. Their belief is, his belief, their belief, both of them, possibly, maybe he said a tongue. Anyway, is that aliens came and they provided the stuff for the Big Bang because otherwise we don't really know where, where that initial material came from. So is that rational? Now we have to silence you. Because you can't ask that question. I'm kidding. It's like, oh wait, don't ask that question. And where did that come from? And where did that come from? So you hit, you hit a place where I'm going to have faith in science or in rationale. And I am not going to question past a certain point. Because doing so might uncover things, might lead to conclusions or might whatever it's something that I'm not comfortable with so the point is that we're all dedicated to something we all religiously prescribe to some sort of ideology so if it's not God it's something else it's science it's literature it's film it's what something 
It's something that we are completely... You're saying no. No, I'm not saying either or. No, I'm not saying either. What I'm saying is that somebody who says, this is kind of how we concluded last week's class, somebody who says, I don't have faith. I don't, I don't live my life believing in other things. The reality is that we all do that all the time. We all put ourselves into life and death situations without really knowing that we're safe. Because we have faith. The, the example that I gave at the end of last week's class was we get into an airplane. And you have faith that the guy wearing the suit, the, the uniform, is a train pilot. Huh? You have faith that that guy's a train pilot. That the, who, the mechanics knew what they were doing when they built the plane or repaired the plane and it was inspected and, and it's safe to fly. You also have faith and trust that no one on the plane is trying to blow it up. So you suspend logic. Is it suspending logic? I don't know if it's suspending logic. You put your faith in something. And people, you put your faith in ideas, you put your faith in formulas, but you're putting your faith somewhere. And so that we might call the irrational rationale. It's putting your faith in the rational in an irrational way, what maybe doesn't call upon that type of commitment. Say, I am going to live my life logically, based on my mind, even though it gets me into trouble consistently. That doesn't really make sense. But we do it all the time. We say, I'm going to... Listen, I don't feel comfortable with it. It doesn't make sense. I'm not going to do it. Or this makes sense. I'm going to do it. Even though we know that our mind, our understanding, our mind, etc. gets into trouble all the time, consistently. And yet we follow it. We say, because this is... i got to follow it. What else am I going to follow? i got to follow myself. i got to follow my... i got to follow the mind. So this, this again is the irrational rationale. Where we follow our rationale, we follow the, the logic, we follow our understanding of things in a way that is absolute. Now, we don't all, not all of us do this. But some do this. And when you look at when you look at the story of Hanukkah, because that is really the, um, the context for all of this. The context for all of this is the story of Hanukkah. You look at the story of Hanukkah, and what was the conflict? What were they fighting about? Right? In the immortal words of... Who was it? Who was it that said, can't we all get along? Why can't we all get along? Rodney King. Immortal words of Rodney King. Why can't, we get, we, why can't we all get along? What was the issue that the Greeks had with the Jews? And why did the Jews fight back, push back so hard against the... What was the... Not the Greeks, the Greek philosophy, whatever. What's, what was the issue? The issue was that the Greek philosophy say, you have to follow rationale, you have to follow the mind, you have to follow logic, till the very end. And don't tell me anything that is... Super rational. Don't tell me anything about a God that wants you to do this, that cares, that needs you to do something, that wants you to do something. Don't tell me about God's wants and God's desires and God's mitzvot. You tell me that it makes sense to give money to the poor. Perfect. Tell me that it makes sense to take a day of rest even. Take off a day from work. 
Okay, it makes sense. Tell me that God said I should do it? Doesn't make sense. Follow the mind? Absolutely. If you follow anything, absolutely. It's a little bit irrational. Especially because we know the track record of the mind. So, that's why it says, you know, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the, the sanctuary, the temporary dwelling for God that the Jews transported in the wilderness. It says it was made out of a certain type of wood. A certain type of wood. The wood is called Asei Shitim. Which is Asei Shitim. Shin Tet Yud Mem. Asei Shitim. It's translated as acacia wood. Acacia wood. What is acacia wood? I don't know. It's a type of wood. I'll tell you what acacia wood is. It's a type of wood that they use when they build a tabernacle. That's... <laughs> There you go. How about like um, Middle East? Could be? In the south. Near Egypt, maybe? On the way out? They took some? Okay. Interesting. I think we need to look this up. Acacia wood. They built the Mishkan out of acacia wood. The Hebrew word for acacia wood, atze means wood of shitim. Shitim. Those of you that were with us when we studied the book called Overcoming Folly, might remember the Hebrew word for folly. What is the Hebrew word for folly? Okay, Miriam, what is the Hebrew word for folly? Folly. Folly. Something foolish. You say, that's foolish. That's... Say it again. Shtuyot. Shtuyot is folly, plural. A singular folly... So a life filled with folly is shriyot. That's the plural. A singular folly. Let's say there was only one folly that happened. Not a calamity of errors, but just one. A singular folly. That's called shtut. Shtut. Shtut is one folly. Shtuyot are many follies. Shtuyot b'mitz aglaniyot. Mitz is juice, no? Yeah. It's like a rhyme. It's like a, it's like a children's. Like, What's like tomato, tomato ah, juice. Okay. Like and tomato juice. So the guy was walking. He slipped on tomato juice and the piano fell down. All right. So, Shtuyot, Shtut, and Shitim share the same letters. So it says in the mystical works... As follows. What did they build a tabernacle? What, did they, what do you build a home out of God from? Folly. Shtuyot. Things that don't make sense. What does that mean? What it means is, if you want to build a home for God, you've got to transform the irrational rationale. In other words, the irrational stuff that you do that's not holy. And you've got to transform it into irrational holiness. Because we all do things that aren't holy, that are very irrational. We do things that don't make sense. 
We do things that we know are not in our best interest. We do things that we know are maybe even destructive. We do things that we know have led us down a negative path before. But we do it, and we do it consistently, and we do it because this is what makes sense, even though past performance does not indicate a, uh, a positive result here. But we've done it in the past, and this is the way that it makes sense, and this is the way I'm trained, and this is the way I know, and this is therefore what I'm going to do. And that's the irrational. You see, you have... You have the ability to turn away from rationale. Two different ways. You can go down, and you can go up. You can do something irrational that is unholy, and you can do something irrational that's holy. You know what holy irrationality is? Holy irrationality. Holy irrationality. Being irrational, but in a holy way, is giving more tzedakah than you're comfortable with. It's praying for a little bit longer than you typically do. It's studying, reviewing something that you studied four times, even though you're not, that's out of your comfort zone. That's what it means to be irrational in the holy side. See, we're irrational all the time. We keep on doing, we keep on making the same mistakes. I mean, we review our mistakes again and again when it comes to (laughs) unholiness. When it comes to the negative side, right? I mean, how many times have we made that same mistake with that same conversation? person said something, the trigger got hit, and I said something that I regret saying, and that's happened a dozen times in the last week. Okay, that's happened, right? It happens again and again. So what, so what is it? It's reviewing my negative behavior again and again. If I can review my negative behavior, can't I review some Torah that I studied? I certainly can. I have the power of reviewing something again and again, maybe even though it doesn't make sense. So instead of, instead of utilizing that ability of repetition beyond the breaking point when it comes to something that's destructive, something unholy, can't I utilize the same ability, the same gift, if you will, for something holy, for something positive? I can... Happy birthday. Happy bat mitzvah anniversary. First bat mitzvah anniversary. If I, have the, if I have the ability if I have the ability to what were the examples that I gave? It was I'll give you more tzedakah. If I have the ability to push myself to be stubborn about not conceding a point in an argument Right? There's a, there's a discussion, a conversation, a.k.a. an argument. And I'm not going to concede the point. I'm going to hold strong to my point. I'm not going to let it go. Why? Because it's my point. Not because of the truth. The hallmark of truth, by the way, is the ability to say, you're right. That's the hallmark of truth. When do you know you're really in a, in a discussion for the truth? 
is when you have the ability to concede and say, I hear your opinion, you're right. Or, I hear what you're saying. It's when you can't say, I hear what you're saying. It's when, no, 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 you have to hear what I'm saying. Is when you know that the ego is involved. So if you can assert yourself beyond what makes sense, beyond maybe the line of what is rational, to push and push and push, well, maybe you can push yourself also to give a little bit more tzedakah than what is rational. Right? You earmarked a certain amount of guilt. So this is what I'm comfortable giving. Past that, that's crazy. <laughs> that's just that's irrational. It's irresponsible. Are we always so responsible in every other area, in every conversation? We always say the responsible things. So irrational, it's not really irrational rationale. It's really irrational for the unholy. So that's okay. But when it comes to holiness, it's like, oh, wait, 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 we've got to be rational here. Let's not get crazy. Let's not, like, overcommit. A certain amount of guilt, that's it. A certain amount of time to Torah study, that's it. A certain amount of time to prayer and dedication and, and kavan and intention, that's it. That's all I'm going to give. Past that, that's for the fanatics. That's someone who's, like, really fanatically religious. But we're all religious. When you argue a point and you can't concede, guess what? You're religious. The question is, who are you being religious to? Your ego? Your mind? Or to God? But to say that I'm not religious, I'm not a fanatic, that's going to be typically a false statement. We're all fanatics. Look at the ratings today. When the New England Patriots play the Denver Broncos. And if you know something about football, Manning-Brady rematch for the who knows how many times. Anyway, I see a lot of uh, football like what? <laughs> what you talking about, Willis? What you talking about, Willis? So, you know, look. I know, I know. But look, here's the deal. You know, there's a reason why sports fans are called fans. It's short for something. Fanatics. You know what fanatic is? Not rational. Fanatic means I'm not rational. So you tell somebody, oh, why don't you do a mitzvah today? Why don't you put on tefillin? Because oh, I, don't, I don't do that. I don't understand it. Oh, so you don't want to do something like fanatic? Yeah, I don't want to do anything fanatic. So what are you doing at 4 o'clock today? Oh, I have a big uh, football party and we're going to have beer and wings and we're just going like, to just scream and shout. Why? Because there are people that I don't know playing a game that really doesn't mean anything in the long run. Makes perfect sense. I got it. I understand. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. But here's the point. The point is not that if it doesn't make sense, it's not good. That's a different... We can talk about that soon. The point is that we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that we only act in rational ways. It's not true. It's never been true. It's never been true. When we were kicking and screaming as a three-year-old because we didn't get candy that we wanted, it wasn't rational. And the truth is, we haven't really grown up so much. Because we still kick and scream when the argument, when the discussion doesn't go our way. And we still cheer things on that make no sense. And we still eat our meals at a certain time because that's the way we like it. 
even though if pressed to give a rational explanation, we would hold up our hands, shrug our shoulders and say, you got me. There is no rational reason. I just want it this way. So what's the point? Not that structure is evil. Not that rationale is bad. But that we're all irrational. The question is, where does your irrationality lie? Does your allegiance, does your irrational, does your, are your shtuyot, we all have shtuyot, follies, irrational things. Do they lie? Do our shtuyot lie in Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Instagram, Minecraft, scrapbooking, not sure how that could be irrational, but work with me. <laughs> or arguing emotional stuff. Is that where the irrationality lies? Or maybe doing something for God, doing a mitzvah. Doing one mitzvah that I'm not yet totally comfortable with, on board with. Studying a little bit of extra Torah or reviewing my studies. That's a big part of Torah studies, reviewing. Or praying. Praying for longer. Rabbi Taub spoke yesterday about prayer before davening. It's a little bit of a smaller crowd. We went late Friday night, relatively late. Not so late. Not later than we... Anyway, we went uh, toward the evening, Friday night, so Shabbos morning, there was a little bit of a smaller crowd. He spoke about prayer as being the opportunity to work on your animal soul. And the idea is to pray until you make a breakthrough. So when is prayer over? When you've achieved... When you've, it's not when you've flipped all the pages and read all the words. That's not what prayer is. That's a very um, superficial form of prayer. What is prayer? It's a bunch of words on the page. I've got to read them all, say them out loud, and when I'm done, I've prayed. Eh, not so exciting. I don't mean not so exciting for the person. Maybe it's very exciting. But it's not so exciting for me, that definition of prayer. What is prayer? Prayer means that you, you go somewhere, the synagogue, or to even a side room called the Cheder Sheni, second room. And you work with your soul. You work with your godly soul and your animal soul. Kind of work. They're working it together. Until there's some sort of breakthrough. Until something Something happens till you feel something, till you, you, you understand something clear, you feel a deeper connection, and then you and then you're praying. And then it's working. For the uh, the leading the prayers. Yes. Kivi, yeah. That's the, the challenge in doing something religiously, consistently, whatever it is. You know, consistently saying something nice to your spouse. Good morning. How you doing? How was your day at the end of the day? That could also become rote. Uh, there's no doubt that the challenge of doing something consistently 
is that it may lose, or that you may have to remind yourself that there's something deeper and beyond it. So the, the, the point of prayer, though, is not to say the words, not to get through the pages. It's really to experience something much deeper. But that requires effort. That requires commitment. Maybe in a way that, that tests what's rational. Because what's rational is that i got to get to work. Or what's rational is I only have 30 minutes to pray. So listen, once the clock hits 30, I'm out. That's rational. That's structure. Nothing wrong with structure. Unless it gets in the way of prayer. <laughs> unless it gets in the way of stuff that's really important. Not saying that you should always show up late to work and say, well, Rabbi Ari told me to. Although you could, and just see how far that goes, because I don't know, I, I don't usually write, you know, permission slips and notes. But I'm not, I'm not beyond that either. But here's the point. Point is, that we all do things that are irrational. God says, I want you to make a home for me. I want you to make a, ha- a building, a sanctuary, a mikdash, a sanctuary, a mishkan, a place for my dwelling. Where? I want you to take your predisposition toward irrationality in unholy matters. When you fight and you're not giving up, you're being stuck. Whatever it is, the unholy irrationality. And I want you to flip it. Flip it for irrational holiness. Holy irrationality. What we called, when we studied um, overcoming folly, what we called holy folly. Which I recall, if I recall correctly, was followed by the word Batman. Holy folly Batman. Who remembers? I mean, that was like, that was how we did it. Holy folly. What is holy folly? It means doing something holy that is out of our comfort zone. That doesn't make so much sense. That if somebody asks you why you're doing it, you wouldn't actually give, be able to give them a rational answer. And maybe your only answer is, is because God told me to. Because God wants me to. Wouldn't it be more holy to do something that's out of your comfort zone than something that you actually would do? Yeah. Now, if it's that, and that's really where the, the friction between the Greek way of life and the Jewish way of life that's where that friction really, really hit home, really exploded in the story of Hanukkah. Because the Greek, said, the Greek philosophy said that what is holiness? What must we serve? The mind. And what makes sense and what feels good in the comfort zones. And that's, what, that's where the highest experiences lie. And Judaism teaches that's not where the highest experiences lie. That's where your ego lies. That's where your self lies. That's where your mind lies. But that's not where God is. Where is God? God is found where He says He's found. Not where we think He's found. So God says, this is what I want you to do. This is a mitzvah. And it makes no sense to us. But we do it because He said so. So it's in that experience that we touch God. Not on our own terms, but on His terms. And if you say, yeah, but I only act rationally, so I got news for you. You don't always act rationally. You act irrationally all the time. But what you do is you submit your mind, you submit your rationale, you submit your logic to 
your own ego, your own comforts, or what the world says is good. So, here's a good example. You have a perfectly working phone. It works absolutely fine. The problem is, it's fantastic. It takes pictures, and the pictures are good pictures. It has all your contacts, and it holds as many contacts as you'll ever need. It syncs with your email and your calendar. It works perfectly. The problem is, somebody got up on a stage and said that there's a brand new model that is so much better. And somebody says that if you have the... Somebody says that if you have last year's model, this year's model is eight times faster. The implication is that yours is eight times slower. That's... Oh, and I'm right, I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah, see, that's the Yeah. Oh, what is that? Oh, is that a, that's the a, a Samsung, right? It's, it's the Nexus 5. Nexus. Oh, Nexus 5 is a nice phone. <laughs> By the way, I, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. We are all irrational. <laughs> the question is, what are we choosing to be? So, so, you, so somebody gets up on stage and says, Hey, folks, I've got to tell you about this new breakthrough we've just came up with. This phone is going to open up the app. Instead of opening up the application in 0.2 seconds, it's going to open up in 0.13 seconds, and it's going to do a little, a little spin, a little. Um, what's it called when you do like a little spin, like in dance, a pir- with a p? How do you pronounce it? Pirouette. pirouette. It's going to do a little pirouette on the screen, and it's going to do a little bow, and then psh, it's going to pop up, and it's going to take less time. It's going to do more shtick, less time. What was the slogan? Great taste, less filling? It's going to be more shtick in less time. And if you have last year's model, it simply does not do that. It simply will not do that. Folks, the choice is yours. For a mere upgrade fee of... Not free. For a mere upgrade fee of you know, 200 bucks, signing on to a new two-year contract, and, uh, you know, selling your firstborn, you can <laughs> gain this brand new piece of technology. So, okay, fine, it doesn't usually include the firstborn unless you look at the fine print, and then it might, but the point is that we do things that are irrational because the rational mind says, do I need really to upgrade? And the irrational mind says, or the irrational mind, the irrational part of us says, yes, you do need to upgrade. You want to upgrade. I need to upgrade. That phone looks really good. I really want it. That's also, you want to be, especially when it comes to like early adaptation, early adopters, it's all about getting in before everyone else. That's a desire. We spoke about that last night. Yeah. That's a desire. But desires are not rational. The way Rabbi Tao put it last night, if it's rational, then it's a need. It's not a desire. Thank God, because I don't have desires like God. Well, okay, in that way. But other, but we, if we look deeply, we all realize that we have something. Even if we're sticklers to schedule. I know you mentioned you need a schedule, but if we're too stuck in the schedule, it's also irrational. It's also irrational. I'm sorry, I can't help you out. I've got to be uh, somewhere by some. I have a 10 o'clock. Everyone's got a something o'clock. I can fit you in between the 10 o'clock and the 12 o'clock. Oh, I forgot I have an 11.30 o'clock. Everyone's got a something. Right? You've got, you got a meeting set, schedule. If you're too stuck to the schedule, it's also a box that you're stuck in. And you're also irrationally stuck. 
You know, it says there's nature and there's the miraculous. And there's what? And the miraculous. The sea, the sea sitting, you know, in the, in the sea bed and just doing its sea thing. How you doing? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just chilling. Chilling here in the sea. That is not a miracle. That's nature. The sea splitting, standing up like a wall on two sides with dry land in the middle. That's incredible. What did the Jews say when they crossed the sea? When the, sorry, what did the Jews say when that miracle happened and the, uh, the sea split? <laughs> Long time no see. We're just going to have to move on. Uh, not even worth it, right? I used it. I used it. I used it upstairs in the Hebrew school kids today, and they loved it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It was fresh. Huh? Oh, ni- oh I think it's a nice part. Oh, okay. Uh, pun. Um, okay. Wait, wait, hold on. Let me just finish. I know I, was, I, I, I kind of derailed myself, but I have, I just want, let me just finish one, one point. So when the when so the miraculous is the sea splitting. Nature is the sea not splitting. But the fact that nature is so consistent, it says in mysticism, is also a miracle. In other words, you can see God in the miraculous. You can see God in the things that happen out of the ordinary. Wow, that was God! How did that happen? You can only chalk up to God, because that's not nature. But Kabbalah then tells us look at nature itself. And the fact that nature is so consistent doesn't change. The sun always rises in the west, east, (laughs) up here in Atlanta. It's like all you know. It's all mixed up. It's it's crazy. It's like in Australia, the toilets flush the other way. It's all right. The sun rises in the east. Let's let's get our bearings straight here. And sets in the west consistently. That also shows on God. That also reflects something divine. Because if something is so consistently, so consistent, even to its nature, that also reflects some, some sort of higher power. And what I mean to say with all of this is, with our own lives, when we are so consistent to a schedule, that's also irrational. That also is something supernatural. In other words, that also reflects something beyond What's rational? Because if it's rational, you'll modify it as you need. But no, no, no. I need to be on the schedule. Why do you need to be on the schedule? It's a, little bit, it's a little bit irrational. The point is, whether we're rational about gadgets, whether we're rational about athletics, whether we're rational about ego, being, that's all ego, whether we're rational about being right in a conversation or being rational, irrational about our schedule and our bedtime, which you could argue is healthy. But if you're rational, if whatever, wherever it is, it's irrational. And the point is, God says, the human being, as much as the human being will pride him or herself on being rational, the human being is going to be irrational as well. And now you have a choice. Either, you, either you're going to keep all your rationality for yourself and hoard your irrationality. It's like, oh, there's irrationality. I got it. It's for me. It's for me stuff. Only for me. Lower stuff. Or God says, I want you to, or God says, you have the choice to share it with me. Be rational for me. Do a mitzvah even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it hurts. Get up in the morning early. Before work. Another hour early. Go to Shul and Davin. 
it's going to hurt. So get used to it, and then that's going to hurt because now it's rote. But do it because I want you to do it, even though it's going to hurt. Give a little extra tzedakah, a little beyond what you're comfortable with, do it for me. Do a mitzvah that you're not so excited about, do it for me. Pray a little bit deeper because of Do something, lend your irrationality to me. The Greeks said you've got to be rational. The Jews said, are you kidding? You're so, you're, sorry, the Greeks said be, did I say irrational or rational? Rational, I said that, right? The Greek said, the Greek philosopher said, be rational. Mind is the measure of all things. I think, therefore, I am. I know I'm mixing errors of philosophy. It's, it's okay. It's all the Greek. It's all, it all came from the Greeks. It's all the Greek. It's all, it's all Greek to me. So, the Greek said, it's all the mind. It's all about the rationale. But being, creating a deity out of the mind, is also rational. Especially because we know where the mind gets us into, which is trouble. And so the Jew said to the Greek, the Jew said in the story of Hanukkah, that's not where our irrational allegiance lies. We're not going to be irrational to human beings or to ourselves, because we're also human beings. Our irrationality is going to be trained above. Because we believe that God gave us, a, gave us the Torah, gave us the mitzvot, wants us to do these things for Him, whether, whether or not we understand it. And the Greeks said, no, 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 only do it if you understand it. And the Jews said, but then we're going to be slaves to our mind. Then we're going to be irrationally serving our mind. And we would rather irrationally serve our Creator. That's where the struggle came in. And I explained last week, this was not just a minor tweak. Where the Greeks said, do the same mitzvah because you understand it and appreciate it. And the Jews said, no, I'm going to do it because God said so. It's not like a minor distinction. It's everything. It's everything. Because either you're connecting with God or you're not. That's what it comes down to. Either you're connecting with your own ego, you're connecting with yourself, you're connecting with Steve Jobs, you're connecting with, with, uh, with uh, Tom Brady, you're connecting with this stuff here, irrationally, or you're connecting with God irrationally. And it's all the difference in the world. It's about the spiritual connection. It's about our spiritual identity. And that's why it evoked such a powerful response from the Maccabees in the story of Hanukkah. The Maccabees, of course, or the Hashmonaim, the Hasmoneans, same family, same. They banded together an army, a small army, and then they gathered more and more people on their side. And they basically said, it's not okay that we are overrun ideologically by the Greek philosophy. It's not okay that Judaism will say, you know what, we had a good run. It's been several hundred years. We had a good run, and they had a temple, by the way. We had a good run, things have been going great, but you know what? The New Age, Greek philosophy, sweeping the world, sweeping the region, let's get caught up into it, let's all become Hellenists, it's so cool, it's the latest thing. Let's not give up our minds, our ways of thinking, let's not submit our minds to something that we don't understand, let's all go rational. The Maccabees said, that means, first of all, it's not honest, we are being irrational. We're being irrational to the rationale. We are serving absolutely the mind. So you're still serving something. So the, lo- the argument itself is not an honest argument, number one. Number two is, we're not going to give up our connection with God just because it sounds, the philosophy sounds exciting. We're not going to trade in. We're not going to trade in our connection with God, our purpose in life, just because 
of a philosophy that sounds very self-gratifying, very self, frankly, self-indulgent, empowering, transformative. Self, this is all about you. You can become a wise person. You can become a smart person, enlightened person. All you have to do is study our philosophy and give up on all those irrational stuff. The Jews said, the Maccabees said, not going to happen. We're not giving it up. But they didn't say that from a rational place. They said it from a, an irrational place. Which is why they went to battle. Even though they were the few, and the Syrian army, Syrian Greeks, they were fueled by Greek philosophy, they were Syrians, even though the Syrian army was many. And even though they were weak, and the other ones were mighty, they still went to battle. That war made no sense logically. There was no logical way that they could win. The good news is that they weren't thinking logically. The whole battle was about logic. The whole battle was about the rational. The Greeks said, you've got to think rationally. And part of thinking rationally is, if you're outnumbered, submit. The whole world says, this is the truth. What are you holding out for? 0.0 something of the population. What do you guys, seriously, give it up. Forget about it. It's done. Be a person of the world. Be an American. Whatever it is, give it up. We're mixing errors now. Work with me. Give it up. Finish. Be rational. Be like everyone else. Be an American. Melting pot. Put everything in. Turn up the heat. And lose your unique identity. That's rational. Especially because the Greeks said, we have such, a, such an amazing philosophy. The Hasmoneans, the Maccabees, responded not with rationale, not by saying, no, we're going to explain to you why we're not going to do that. They responded by engaging in a battle that there was no rational way that they could win. But they won. And they won. Because they had God. Because they had God. The point is, how do you fight? How do you fight the irrationality of unholiness. It's by of unholiness when you feel yourself being pulled into an argument and you have to win because you have to. Even though you know you're going to lose more in the long run, you're going to damage your relationship, but I have to win. I'm addicted to winning. I have to win. My ego. How do you battle that? By going the, uh, not by rationale, not by telling yourself, no, it doesn't make sense, it's not holy. You're not going to overcome irrationality by rational thought. You're going to overcome it by something equally irrational. Because it takes fire to fight fire. When the Greeks came along, the Greek philosophy, the Syrian Greeks came along and said, hey, we have a new way of, of being. We have a new philosophy. This is going to be, this is like, this is the latest and greatest. This has that new car philosophy smell. This is like, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. I mean, and everyone's buying it. Every, it's, sweeping, it's sweeping the nation. It's like everyone is doing it. It's, oh, you guys are holding out? Like, they're working. You're working with irrational techniques. Pressure techniques. Peer pressure, the unknown, the new stuff. Like, 
You're working, it's not necessarily rational. You're, you're packaging it in something rational, but it's really, truly irrational. It's really irrational. You really have to suspend belief also to believe that the mind is, as we, that's the whole point of what I've been trying to hack for, for almost an hour now, is that the rational is also irrational when you're a slave to the rationale. When you're a slave to the mind, it's also irrational. So how do you fight the irrational? Because when the Greeks came along and said, rational, the Jew heard, the Maccabees heard, irrational. That's, that's irrational. You're, come, you're fighting for, your, for something rational. You're fighting. You're trying to force me, coerce me into your, into your philosophy. That's rational? It's not rational. That's fueled by irrational. You ever see somebody who says, I really don't believe in God, and they get angry? That's rational? It's not rational. It's the same religious fervor that the believer has. It's just trained in a different direction. There's no difference. So when the Greeks came along and said, got to throw away God. You got to do stuff because you understand it, because it makes sense, because it feels good. The Jew heard, the Maccabee heard, irrational. There's only one way to fight the irrational. That's through the irrational. A lot of irrationals here. You with me? You got. Right. Right. You got to fight in the same. Uh, you got to fight in the same wavelength. Otherwise, discuss, negotiate, whatever you want to call it. Right. You got. You got to negotiate in the same. You know. You got to be talking about the same stuff. So, the Greeks came along and said irrational. That's what the Jew heard. Irrational, irrational, blah, blah, blah. The Jew said, all right, there's, no, there's only one way to fight this. It's by the same type of irrational commitment, dedication, fighting. In other words, even though it doesn't make sense that we're going to be victorious, doesn't make sense, we're going to fight. We're going to fight for our beliefs. And God helped. And they won. So that is why this... Oh, and, and one more piece of the story, and then we're going to read this inside. This is really what I said. This is really the, the, the totality of chapter 6, which we're about to read. One more piece of the puzzle. I mentioned many times before that the, the whole oil, the story of the oil, the fact that they were looking for pure oil doesn't make any sense. Because they were allowed to use impure oil. Halacha, Jewish law says, and I mentioned this last week, that when there's no pure oil, you use impure oil. You light the menorah with impure oil. What, if you don't have the purest oil, so you don't like the menorah at all in the temple? You like the menorah with the impure oil. It's all you have. It's all you got. But no. They lit it, and they said, we're not lighting with anything else. It's irrational. You have impure oil. And even when they found one cruise of, of pure oil, they said, we're not putting anything else. So a miracle had to happen. Why were they so irrationally bent on using this pure oil? For the same reason. Because rationale has no place in this battle against the Greek. Against the philosophy that you have to be dedicated irrationally to, the ration, to rationale, you can't fight that with rationale. You with me? Sandy had a question. A while ago. All right. No, I'm, I put that one aside. And I have a new one, but I think I'm forgetting it. Um, but the decision... 
I think that the truth is that there's so many shades of rational and irrational. But the decision that this is the only oil that can be used seems to me to be some kind of a rational decision that is, the impetus for that is irrationality. Somebody's, there has to be a decision. No, the rational... Well, okay, so the, you're, you're talking about decisions. There are different types of decisions. There are decisions where I'm weighing two things and I'm thinking, okay, this is the better choice. Then there are decisions that you make. In a sense, there are decisions that you make and decisions that make you. There are decisions that you make, which means that you have two viable options and you make a decision. You make a choice of... From another option, you make a choice. You make a decision. And then there are decisions that define you. Where you couldn't have made another choice. The example that's given in Tanya, and it's, he's going to cite it here as well in this discourse, is historically when the Jew was cornered, was come at somebody with, uh, with a gun, with a knife, with this, whatever it was, and said to the Jew relinquish your faith, give up your identity, your Jewish identity, or you're going to be killed. And the Jew responded, I will not forsake my identity. I will not give up who I am. That choice is an irrational choice. Makes no sense. Because live another day and do another mitzvah. But no, I am not going to even for a moment say that I'm leaving, leaving my faith, leaving my identity, leaving my connection with God. Where does that come from? And the way he explains it in Tanya is he says you have people that have done this historically. There are many stories, even the Holocaust, not even, in the Holocaust. Stories of people that were, they, they called themselves Germans before Jews, but when the Germans, when the Nazis rounded them up, rounded up the Jews, they were also rounded up. But even in the camps, they were... You know, not at all religious, not at all observant, not at all committed, not at all Jewish, what we would call Jewish. And yet, when the Nazis said, desecrate the, the Torah scroll, that that person would have told you, I don't care about, I don't follow, I don't listen to it. They said, I'm not doing it. And even when there was a gun held to their head, they said, I'm not doing it. And they paid the ultimate price. That's called Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying God's name. What does that mean? It means not to give up your core identity. Is that a decision that you make? Tanya says it's not a decision that you make. It's a decision that makes you. Or a decision that you can't not make. In other words, because you have a soul that is bound inextricably with God, essentially, in a unique way, you can't sell yourself out. It's not a choice. You can't choose anything else. The ultimate form of choice is a choice that's so pure that you can't, you can't choose anything else. We like to, to convince ourselves that the greatest form of choice is where two things are equal and I have no compelling factor to choose one over the other. That's the purest form of choice we, we tell ourselves, right? What's the purest form of choice? Where's free choice? I have two apples, they look identical, and I chose one over the other. That's, is that free choice? 
Well, you probably sense that I'm leading somewhere else. But would you say that that's free choice? That's perfectly free. There's no factors compelling me to make the choice. Let me ask you the question. So how'd you make the choice? How'd you make the choice? Think about it. How'd you make the choice? Two identical apples. Two identical apples sitting on the table in front of you. Literally identical cloned apples, if, it was, if it's possible. Cloned to the exact curvature of the stem and the bumps on the bottom. How do you choose? Free choice, baby. You got it. How do you choose? Exactly. It's a mental flip of the coin. So you chose? You ch- this expresses you? I chose. You chose? Or a coin flip chose? An eeny, meeny, miny, mo chose? You, you didn't choose at all. Where were you in that choice? Oh, because you said, all right, that one, that's you? That expresses you? What expresses me is my ability to randomly choose two things that look the same. That's you? Who am I? I'm a guy that can flip a coin. Really? That's, well, that's profound. That's free choice. Thank God I'm a human being that has free choice. That's not what free choice is. Free choice is the ability to choose who you are. Your true essence. To freely choose that. Notwithstanding the pressures. Notwithstanding the challenges to asserting your true identity. In other words, despite all of the pressure, despite all of the opposition, despite the guy, the Nazi that's holding the gun to the head of the fellow in the camp who said through their acts, through his actions, and said through his speech, I am not a committed Jew. When that moment comes and that Jew says, I am a Jew, I'm going to die as a Jew, and I'm never going to desecrate the Torah that I never really followed, that's free choice. That means freely choosing who you are. That means choosing, asserting yourself. That's free choice. Free choice is not picking eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Two things that look the same. That's not free choice. That's ridiculous. That's silly. That's silly. Free choice is not choosing green paint over red paint. Because either there's something about the green paint or red paint that's beneficial. That's not a free choice. That's, you're compelled by the thing itself. Free choice is you f- choosing to express yourself. The choice for life, choosing life, choosing to breathe in this moment, choosing not to give up hope, choosing to live on and to be strong, that is free choice. That is choosing to express who you are. Choosing to express, choosing to remain committed to your Jewishness, that's free choice. The other choices that we make, Baba Mises. I'm choosing which pasta. Am I going to go tonight with a linguine? Am I going to go with the curly stuff, that really exotic triple twist? Am I going to go with the ziti? Thank God human beings have free choice. Otherwise, like, what would we do? Like our pasta situation, we would just be there all day. Like, thank God we have the ability to flip a coin and to end it. That's free choice. That says, I give you free choice so we can choose pasta. Free choice to choose to express, to express ourselves and who we are. Despite the challenges that come our way. 
Free choice means for the Jew to say to the Greek, yes, you're presenting a seductive lifestyle, an intellectually stimulating way of life. You're polishing it and presenting it on stage with this really cool PowerPoint presentation that looks really awesome and fulfilling and gratifying. And you're portraying my way of life as some old, archaic, lame being serving an invisible deity. Okay, true. But just as I cannot relinquish my life, just like I will not choose to stop breathing at this moment, just like I assert at every moment to live, I'm going to live and be strong, despite challenge that may come my way, I'm going to choose my core, essential, divine identity. Not because I'm choosing it, because I can't not choose it. Not because it's a choice that I'm making. This is a choice that makes me. It defines who I am, and because this is who I am, that's the choice that I'm making. I don't make a choice, the choice makes me. I can't not make this choice. That's what it means when the essence of the soul comes out. What do I mean comes out? Because typically we don't live by the essence of the soul. Typically we live by shtuyot, we live by whatever, we live, uh, oh, pasta, tastes good, sports, cell phones, structure, food, mealtime, Instagram, wow, it's exciting stuff. We live on a very removed, we, we live very removed from our core essence of who we are. We live by our passions, by our deepest dreams and passions. No, we, we do stuff. We get a job and we do something. We work. It's, so, it's, it's meaningful. It's not meaningful. The stuff that we do on a day to day, does it really express? Is it really who we are at our core? Or the 99% of the stuff that we do is just stuff that we do because we need to do stuff. But when, the, when we hit the core, when something happens that, hit, that hits that core and the core comes out... There's nothing else to choose. There's nothing else to choose but who we are, our identity. When the Maccabees were faced with the Greek challenge, crisis in Judea, when they were faced with that Greek challenge, there was no other option for them. It wasn't like, okay, well, maybe let's negotiate. Maybe, okay, so we'll take it easy on Torah and Mitzvah. Maybe we'll be a little bit more Greek. Maybe we'll throw in some Greek prayers during the service. It wasn't an option. They had to put their lives in the line. Because otherwise, what's, what is... Because what is life if not this? What is life? I'm going to put my life in the line. Because what's the alternative? It's not living truly to who I really am. Oh, yeah. You, pro- you can't hotwire it? I mean... <laughs> Not like you should. Enjoy. You have, you have guilt? Yeah. Okay. Stuck keys. I think the back seat has to be lifted up. There's like a handle on the side. Thank you. Drive careful. All right. Um, does it make sense? Sort of, yeah, it does. The idea is that the, that the Maccabees could not have chosen anything else. Why? Because it cut to, the, cut, to the, cut, to the, cut to the essence of the Jew. You cut to the essence, the Yechida, the quintessence of the soul comes out. And when the Yechida comes out, you're going to take on the Greeks, no matter how numerous, 
no matter how strong, because you can't not. We'll go around. Um, it's maybe going back just a little bit, but when to close the loop, when you said that that we can be irrational in our rationality, yeah. right? The it seems like then the paradox if you in order to defeat that, that for example, the, the, the sort of irrationality of doing something regularly, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. even though it's unhealthy. Correct. If you when you appeal to something irrational, whether it's stretching you know, beyond the mitzvah to something, you know, that ultimately the consequence of that, if not the goal, but the consequence is to return to something more rational. So not necessarily. Like, okay. See, the, the, the trick is not necessarily, hey guys, have fun. Got a nice crew here today. The objective is not really... Th- That's what I said. Right, so God's home... Consequence, not the objective. But. God's home is built on the irrational. That's the truth. God's home is built on the Atsay Shittim, on the Acacia wood, on the, 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 wood, the, tr- the trees of folly. It's not about I'm going the I'm going I'm going this way. It's irrational. Let me bend the other way so that I get more. It's like the page is bent, so let me bend it, bend it the other way so now it's straight. Really, the objective is not to get back to the rational. The objective is to get back to who we really are. But I'm guessing what I'm saying is not the objective, but one consequence, and it would be a paradox if that's right. Is that isn't that ultimately going to be more rational in the sense that you're saying that it's irrational to... To do the rational so rationally. Right. So I think one consequence is that you'll be a little bit more... You'll take the rationale a little bit, le- a little bit less seriously. And so then you may do it a little bit more... You may not eat at the same time as you may eat. Only when you need to. Yeah, only when you need to. Only when you, you know, you'll, you'll stop the conversation... When it becomes unproductive and unhealthy, so that might be considered more rational, but it's also healthier. I think more than than rational or irrational. I think it, what it boils down to is it's a healthier experience. The healthier experience is due to the fact that you're not you're not idolizing the other stuff. So you'll be more rational about the material stuff. You realize how sometimes insignificant it is. It's like, I don't need to get caught up in that stuff because it's not like, it's not like a deal-breaker, game-changer. It's just stuff. It's like, if you move away from Manning Brady to God, you end up with a, a more balanced approach to Manning Brady. And, right. In other words, we're going to be irrational somewhere. So either it's down here, and we'll be rational up there, and rationalizing God, well, I can't see God, so therefore it doesn't exist. Because I'm very rational when it comes to God. But I'm irrational here. Or I say, and then the question is going to be, well, does it have to be either way? Alright, I don't know. But, or, let's just present it as that. Or, I'm irrational to God. And I'm, in a good way, saying, God, I'm, I'm in it. And I'm more rational down here. And I say, look. It's a collateral consequence. It's a collateral. In other words, like... Where, where does my dedication lie? You know, in many cases it says that a, a strength in the spirit is a liability in the physical, and liability in the physical is a strength, and, or a strength in the physical. In other words, it's like a seesaw sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. You know, wherever you put more weight, the other one is going to... Look, another sports analogy. Pitchers and hitters. You train for 10 years to be a pitcher, you can't hit in the majors. Anybody with me so far? 
the best pitchers can't hit. But why not? They're tremendous athletes because you're not focusing on it. You're training your attention and your skill set elsewhere. And so you're neglecting another skill set, so you don't have it. Greg Maddox was a good hitter, right? He was a pretty decent hitter. That guy was incredible. Let's talk about Greg Maddox for a second. No, I'm kidding. All right. The point is, right, you're with me. So when you train, when you focus on one area, so I would say, yes, in other words, I'm coming, I think, full circle with what you were saying, and I'm now really vehemently agreeing with your, with your assertion. Because that, you're saying it's irrational to disagree. Correct, with David, yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, but I, I, I really feel strongly about this. And that, and I, in other words, that when you are now dedicated, I'm, I'm in it for God, you're going to look at the world a little bit That's what I'm more skeptically. In other words, say, do I really need to do this? Just because the world tells me, well, this is what everyone does. Wait, if I just agree with, if I just accept that, it's a little bit irrational. Let me think about this. Is this really in my best interest? Is this really in my best spiritual interest? Is this going to help me serve God? Is this going to help me deepen my connection with my purpose and, 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 and my core identity? Or is this a distraction? And if it is, let me rationally step back and, and, and away from this. But you, it now can be a football game that you watch as a football game. As, as just a football game. As just a time to connect with the TV. No, with friends. Thank you. Over good kosher wings. Um, we should put together. Uh, uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna get there in a sec. Okay, go, 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 go. I'll talk about our football, our uh, Super Bowl plan soon. Go. Okay. In the face of Nazi Germany. Yeah. I'm with you. Here's, here's the challenge. Here, here, here's the difficulty with that question. First of all, there were people historically that when faced with this, with this test of faith did go the other way and said, alright, I'll give in. That, that happened. The vast majority, though, historically, did not. This Throughout the Inquisition, throughout the pogroms, throughout the Holocaust, the vast majority stayed and, and didn't, and didn't flip, flip to the other side. The stories came out of the camps. They didn't get... By and large, with rare exceptions, people went down Jewish, saying Shema Yisrael and Ani Ma'amin, I believe in the coming of Mashiach, go marching to the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the showers. That's what they did. But your question is a, very, is a very deep question. And what I thought when you were asking that question is, what would we do if, God forbid, what would a person, forget about we, because we don't want to speak in these types of terms, what would a person do if their child was in danger? Would they say, and it looked like, would they say, well, let me protect myself, I can have more kids? Or would they say, I can't live without, like, life without, like, it's what's the, what's, 
It's not a decision that we make. See, you're describing it as a rational consideration. Well, the Torah doesn't really exist physically. It's a really a spiritual thing, and it's really that's if you're looking at it from a rational place. If you're looking at it from an identity place, from who you are, you would net a person. I don't think would ever do that with their kid. Okay, a car is coming. God forbid, right? Somebody's saying a car is coming. I can jump in front of it, push my kid out of the way, but we might both get it. So let me figure out: Does this make sense or not? There's no rational thinking. It's, it's inherent. It's a, not a decision that we make. It's a decision that makes us. If we truly feel, if, if we hit that spot where, it's, where it becomes real, where it's, where it's who we are. So the, 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 what, what Kabbalah says, what Tanya says, what he says here, is that each of us has a godly soul. And that godly soul, if it's triggered, if it's triggered, most of the time it's not awake because we bury it under cell phones and wings and beer and other sorts of material substances. We bury the soul and we, we tie it to a chair and we put a blindfold on it and we put duct tape over its mouth. Tanya he uses more graphic terminology. He says you're given a soul, a godly soul, it's like taking that, which is like part of God, it's like you're taking the head of a king and putting it into the toilet. That's what he says. Jan, you can back me up on this, right? We study this in Tanya. It's not from Tanya, it's from Zohar, from Kabbalah. Taking the head of the king, automatic shutoff. We're very efficient. No, it's okay, there's a, there's a drip, it catches it. We're good. Yeah, it's haunted. Here's the point. Here's the point. If we viewed our souls, if we, when our souls are awake, you can't help but make that choice. I hope this, this gave a little bit of context. Again, you're, you're telling me a r- very rational consideration. And if you deal with rational considerations, you can't really argue. Be rationalizing. That's basically what it is. You're, you're saying, yeah, but why can't one rationalize? The answer is you could. But what I'm saying is two things. Number one, historically... When most Jews were faced with this very question, even though their entire lives were spent rationalizing behavior that they knew Torah was not for, when that moment hit, they could no longer rationalize. And it was, I'm not selling out my soul, I'm not selling out Torah, I'm not selling out God. That's what came out. Yeah. You can't, I can't tell you the dozens of stories. Open up any book that came out from the Holocaust. Any book of true stories, not necessarily a novel, a book of true stories, survivors. What happened? What were the horrors that they faced? And you'll see in those stories, people that were told to urinate on the toilet, whatever it was, on the toilet. And they couldn't do it. And they picked the guy that was most likely to do it. Because they didn't care about outwardly. They didn't care about Torah. This is one of the unique, this process, this whole way of thinking is very unique to chassidus, chassidic thought, mystical thought, chabad thought. So you're demonstrating the power of Judaism, the power of the soul, by looking at, not the tzaddik. You, you're, not look, you're not saying, what's the power of Judaism, the righteous? 
power of Judaism, the power of the soul, you find by looking at the opposite extreme and seeing how when that person who didn't care about anything, was not, wasn't on their agenda for whatever reason, but when they were pushed to that point, it came out like, a, like the love of a parent to a child. It's essential. It's not a ra- rationalize. Okay, but what should I do? Hmm, let me think. Sophie's choice. We're going to rationalize these things. Go rationalize. You can't rationalize when it comes to something that hits, hits deeper. It's not a choice that you make. It's a choice that makes you. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's always my trick question. Yeah. that are deeper than... And, and again, the brilliance of Torah, of Judaism, and, and Hasidic thought, mystical thought, Kabbalah, is that it tells us that that is where free choice really is. Free choice is not in the random flips of the coin, in the mental flip of the coin. That's what makes a human being. The fact that you can randomly choose something. I'll tell you this. A monkey in the jungle can randomly choose one banana over another. That doesn't, that's not free choice. Or a monkey in a jungle can also choose a more ripe over less ripe. What free choice really is, is asserting your core spiritual identity. That's what free choice is. Above and beyond all other rational considerations. In other words, life, connection with God, the life of another, the life of a two-year-old child, that, a two-year-old child that's in danger. That comes before my job, my interview, everything else. It's not rational necessarily, but it doesn't have to be rational. It's not a choice that I make, it's a choice that makes me. Right. Of a lost child or Hanukkah. Religion. It has to be at that extreme to be able to find that. So that's why there are chapters 18 through 25 in Tanya. It's incredible what you're saying. There's seven chapters in Tanya dedicated to explaining how that life and death choice exists every time we're faced with a moral dilemma. And Jan can also attest to that. That every moral choice we have to imagine in our mind, this is either... That's, that's for sure. But, but what I, I, you know, it's always good to have backup that I'm not just inventing chapters 18 through 25. Chapters 18 through 25, the whole objective of those chapters is to explain how that choice, that big moment you can imagine is every moment. And this is where we're going to close out. And I just want to mention one thing. You took the Soul Maps course. I did. 
You remember these, these things a little bit, right? How you can... But this core concept that you, a person can conjure up in their minds. I, and the best example I can give is an athletic example again, a sports example. I'm sorry, but this is, this is my go-to example because this is the way I understand it. And that is that, that you look at the end of a game and everyone's really intense. Everyone's really like playing their hearts out because it's do or die. It's like that gun to the head. It's 30 seconds left in the basketball game. Like you have, there's like two points down or two points. It's like two-minute drill to football, two minutes left. Super Bowl. No huddle. All out. We're all in on this. Where was that intensity uh, 30 minutes ago? Let me ask you a better question. Did you have the ability to have that intensity? What's the answer? Of course. Because otherwise, where would it come from now? So why is it that you're only having it now and you didn't have it then? Because in your mind, it wasn't so critical before and now it's critical. So what does it mean? What it means is that what makes something critical or not? What determines whether it's do or die, if you will? The way we perceive it. So what that means is, uh, Michael Jordan, why he was so great, is because the first minute of the game, it was do or die for him. No one would score off of him in his mind, and he would score every time he touched the ball or make an assist. That's what made him great. He was tenacious every second of that game. Whereas everyone else, they only turn it on at the end when they feel the pressure. The truly great ones live every moment like it's the last. And so that's why our sages say in Pirkei Avot or elsewhere in the Talmud, live every day. They don't say live every day. They say repent, which kind of means live. Repent is not just something you do, but it's a way of being. Repent in the last day of your life or the day before you die. Repent the day before you die. To which the students asked the teacher, so how do we know when we're going to die? The next day. To know the day before. So you got to know like a day in advance, kind of, like which day you're going to die. Because otherwise, how do you do, how do you do tshuva the day before you die if you don't know when you're going to die? And so the So the answer was, I mean, that's, yeah, that, that would be a neat way, but he doesn't, so the teacher answered the students, okay, fine, you got me. So live every day with tshuva. Live with that intensity every single day. That you're all in for God. So to answer your question, the reason why I'm saying all this is just to answer your question, that it seems like this is only in extreme circumstances, life and death, Judaism or not Judaism, uh, you know, de- de- desecrating the Torah, or the story of the Maccabees, the story of Hanukkah, which is basically change Judaism. It's not about God anymore, it's about philosophy. It's about self-help, it's about, you know, wisdom. It's not like doing stuff for God, it's about rational stuff. It's not only then. We have the ability to understand and to, to get ourselves into that frame of mind that every moral decision that we face is a big deal. How do we do that? That's why there's seven chapters. Work, walking us through different various meditations, understanding the totality of God, the oneness of God, how everything... It's, a lot, it's, it's, it's an elaborate discussion, which we don't have time for right now. Maybe we'll get into it a little bit next time. But I think the core point that I wanted to bring out today, even though we didn't read it inside, next week we're going to just read it inside, chapter 6. The core point is like this, just to recap and bring everything together, just for, give me 60 seconds, is that typically, as rational as we think we are, we're not so rational. 
we're irrational. We're irrational, we're stuck in our minds, we're stuck in our egos, we're stuck in our habits, even though we know they're destructive, we're stuck in our... We sell ourselves out for different things that we don't really believe in. We get seduced by the latest and greatest stuff, even though it doesn't make sense. We live very irrational lives. But then, but we're told that it's rational. How do you combat that? You combat that by going irrational for holiness for God. By saying, let me use my ability, my skill of irrationality. Because I, I have a well-developed skill of doing things that make no sense. But instead of using it for stuff that's really in the long run meaningless, let me use it for things that are really meaningful. Let me help out the child that is lost. And it's not only the two-year-old child that's lost, it's helping out somebody that needs, that needs help. Even though, it's at, even though it makes no sense because I have a very important schedule and I've, I've, I've got a 10 o'clock. doesn't matter. doesn't matter that you have a 10 o'clock. Are you doing it anyway? Are you, do, are you davening because you know, God wants you to pray and it's a good thing to pray? It's a good thing. It's a godly thing to pray. Doing the mitzvah, extending yourself, giving a little extra tzedakah. You know, the Talmud says, and there goes my 60 seconds, the Talmud says that you're, you're supposed to give a tenth and if you're like super, you know, super dedicated, give, no, uh, give one-fifth, tw- sorry, give 10%, if super special, 20%. But don't give more than 20%. That's foolish. And you know what the author ever writes in Tanya? Give more than 20%. Because for everything else in the world, we're willing to splurge. But when it comes to, to doing a mitzvah, we can't. Suddenly, wait, oh, it's irrational. It's irresponsible. Really? What about that second mortgage to buy the yacht? Okay, we don't have yachts, but what about like all of those things that, I mean, really, we're always so... Okay, so but what the point is, again, the point is that, bottom line, the reasons why the Maccabees fought with such intensity, engaging in a battle that didn't make sense that they would, that they would win, is because that's how you battle the other irrationality, through irrational means. And also because it can't be any other way. Because when your core identity is being called into question, you can't help but make the choice to assert who you are. And the story of Hanukkah, that's how it came out. The story of our lives, it comes out the same way. To find out how that plays out, come back next week. Thank you.